hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast. And there's a little bit of a different smell in the air this time around recording this podcast. It was draft day. There were trades. There were agreements that have been backed out of. Some teams have had great draft nights. But before we get into that, there's a new smell in the air on this podcast. And that might be because this podcast is now officially under a new roof. That's right. The Sly Hooper podcast is now a part of Blue Wire Hustle. Yes, the Sly Hooper podcast is now a part of Blue Wire Hustle. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you have heard of Blue Wire. They have been on the come up, quite frankly, for the last couple of years. Have been very successful. They started... They started a program called Blue Wire Hustle, and my podcast was lucky enough to be a part of the program, uh, applied, and I'm ready to keep this podcast going uh, under a new roof. I'm very excited to be a part of the Blue Wire team, Blue Wire Hustle specifically. It's Think of it as radio stations have affiliate stations and sister stations, although this is more of a direct program straight from Blue Wire. So it is Blue Wire, but under a a different moniker with other up-and-coming aspiring podcasters. I'm just excited to work and communicate with a bunch of interesting people, and it's going to be fun. Um, More podcasting news, aside from the fact that the Sly Hooper podcast, this podcast is now a part of Blue Wire Hustle, I am the co-host of a new NBA podcast called Box Out Banter with Chris Okamura. And this was actually something, or if you asked me three weeks ago, I had no idea I was going to start this podcast. Um, talked to Chris a little bit on a few occasions when he would, you know, we met through a mutual friend and we played a few video games here and there, a few sessions of video games here and there, didn't really talk to him much. But then a few weeks ago, basically me, our mutual friend and Chris were in a chat one time. And long story short, we started riffing about hoops for three hours. And it was one of the most organic conversations I have ever had about hoops. I had been looking to do a podcast with somebody to bounce ideas off of who is also obsessed with and thinks about basketball not like me exactly, but because we do disagree, which is also good and healthy for a sports podcast in, or podcasting in general, but just somebody who is as big of a fan and an enthusiast of hoops like I am. And the podcast is called Box Out Banter, as mentioned before. I affectionately call it the B.O.B. There is two episodes out already, and we are just pleasantly surprised at how well these episodes have turned out. I can't wait to grow this podcast some more, and uh, I know me and Chris are excited to keep this going, and it's going to be fun. Uh, 2020 ending on a few unexpected bright notes uh, with this podcast and then the new podcast that I'm doing with Chris. So now that the housekeeping is out of the way, let's talk about what's really been going on in the NBA for the last, I don't know, it seems like five days just stuff has been moving so fast first we gotta talk about just the absolute bummer that it is that clay thompson might have a significant 
lower leg injury. Apparently, he was playing pickup. If you're listening to this podcast, which is most likely uh, Thursday morning, Clay Thompson hurt himself playing pickup ball uh, yesterday, Wednesday. A lot of reports saying that he could not put any weight on the leg. It was the right leg. Uh, it was the right leg, so the opposite leg from the ACL that he tore in the 2019 finals against the Raptors. But now reports have been coming in, especially late into the night when I'm recording this, and it seems like it's a Achilles injury. Now, we won't find out any more information until probably later today. It seems like he's going to get x-rays and imaging done. But this is the bummer. I love watching Clay Thompson play basketball. He's one of the best microwave heat check guys I have ever watched in my life. Him and Steph Curry are one of the best backcourts in NBA history, point blank, period. And I was really looking forward to seeing how this Warriors team would bounce back with the classic core of Steph, Draymond, and Clay. And like we knew all along, the Warriors added center James Wiseman. And we were really looking forward to seeing how that core was going to bounce back. I thought the Warriors would have been a playoff team while also bringing Wiseman along. But it looks like that's not going to be the case. And now the Warriors have some decisions to make. Like, will they use their 17 plus million dollar trade exception now? Will they look, what players are they going to look for to not obviously replace Klay Thompson, but at least have a few bodies there to fill specific roles? Because now the plan shifts a little bit. Because, you know, you could have kept Andrew Wiggins on the team too and you know brought him along it probably would have been traded down the road I just don't think you could salvage Wiggins at this point but there is a role to be had there in Golden State within the context of the Warriors big three coming back and Wiseman coming along uh, for the ride now um, I think Wiseman is a great pick I think it's just what the Warriors needed I'm very high on Wiseman as a prospect he already has a low floor to me especially going to an organization like Golden State but given everything that's happened now and what we know with what happened to Klay Thompson it's it's a bummer there's just no other way to put it he's one of the coolest dudes in the NBA one of the best shooters ever and he's now in his 30s and has had after being durable for so long, Klay Thompson has always been one of the most durable players in the NBA, always playing through injuries, always wanting to play no matter what the circumstances are. And now he's just had back-to-back -back devastating injuries to his lower extremities, and it it just sucks. There's just there's no other way to put it. And I hope that the injury is not as severe as we think it is. Nobody's confirmed if this Achilles injury is a tear or not or a partial tear. Whatever the case is, I just really hope that it's not bad because the league is better when the Splash Brothers are active and healthy. And I was really looking forward to seeing the Warriors play this year because Steph Curry is behind Allen Iverson, my second favorite player ever and Clay Thompson was also one of my favorite players to watch and now it's just a bummer that we might have to wait a little bit longer um who knows if the Warriors will I I have no doubt the Warriors will stay committed to Clay but there's no doubt that an injury like this always throws the future up into question a little bit 
but we'll see. It's just it's just really unfortunate. And staying in the realm of unfortunate, although obviously to a very different different degree, the Milwaukee Bucks might not be getting Bogdan Bogdanovich after all. And it's been funny watching people call him Bogdan or saying Bogdanovich. It's Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, there's a reason his nickname is Bogey here in Sacramento. But it turns out the Bucks' initial framework, the initial framework of the deal between the Sacramento Kings and the Milwaukee Bucks that would have sent Dante DiVincenzo, Ursan Ilyasova, and DJ Wilson to the Kings in exchange for Bogdan Bogdanovich in a sign-in trade will not go through. And apparently, it's really only because the big name in the trade package hadn't agreed to sign anywhere. And so now, there is an announcement from Adrian Wojnarowski or a tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski saying that Bogdanovich is now going to explore unrestricted or not unrestricted but restricted free agency because remember he is a restricted free agent this summer the Kings have the ability to match any offer that Bogdanovich gets from any team it's very different from unrestricted obviously Um, but now nobody knows if this deal is going to happen is it a smokescreen to basically throw everybody off the scent that this deal was agreed two, three days in advance of when teams are allowed to talk to players? Could it be that Bogdanovich really changed his mind? I mean, going to Milwaukee is a pretty good thing for your career, so I imagine Bogdan Bogdanovich wants to play there in Milwaukee, but it could all just be a smokescreen. And if it's not a smokescreen and Bogdan really just wants to explore restricted free agency and see what offers are out there, and he ends up not going to the Bucks. The subsequent, the moves the Bucks made before this, mainly trading for Drew Holiday and sending three first-round picks in a pick swap, that price all of a sudden looks a lot more insane than it did when it initially happened. When it initially happened, that was before the Bogdan sign-in trade, the initial Bogdan sign-in trade was announced. I was really uneasy about the amount of picks they gave up, but I also understood if it came with a condition, because I truly believe no NBA team would make this trade unless they get it, get confirmation, but there but there seemed to be an understanding that Giannis was going to sign the five-year contract extension by the December 21st deadline. Granted, the Bucks showed a willingness to build a championship caliber roster around Giannis and obviously getting Drew Holiday was the first step although I was still uneasy about the picks they gave up even if Giannis stayed the next five years we don't know what can happen between now and 2027 and (laughs) that's seven years from now and that pick could be something the Bucks will just be screwed on especially if it's a high pick but then They agreed to a sign-and-trade deal with the Sacramento Kings to get Bogdan Bogdanovich, and you're thinking, okay, if you combine the totality of the moves the Bucs have made, they assembled one of the best starting fives in the NBA because I think the world of Bogdan Bogdanovich. 
if he does go to the Bucks, I think people are going to find out really quickly, and mainly people who don't watch Sacramento Kings games at all, they're going to find out how good Bogdan Bogdanovich is. He is a really smart playmaker. He is a dead-eye shooter off the dribble, and he just he has the cojones to take big shots in big situations. And yes, he did take and make clutch shots for the Kings in close games that they were in, even though they haven't made the playoffs. Bogdan has been a winner overseas. He thrives in playoff situations. Just the type of player the Bucks need. An absolute upgrade over George Hill and Eric Bledsoe. Even though George Hill had a career year last year, especially because he shot 5,000% from three. Drew Holiday, upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. The price was a little too steep, but you would think getting Bogdan in conjunction with the Drew Holiday move, that would have made it a little bit better, and then the Bucks could fill out the rest of the roster with vet men's. Wesley Matthews was a boon last year for the Bucks uh, at that price, but now he's opted out and is obviously looking for a bigger payday, but you figure the Bucks would you know, go to the scrap heap or the trash bin again, or the value bin, I should say more aptly, and get somebody like a Wesley Matthews. Or we all thought Marvin Williams when they uh, picked him up off the waiver waivers last year, off the buyout market last year, that he was going to have a big effect because that was somebody who could also spread the floor and shoot uh, around Giannis. Now it's not looking like that anymore. And if Bogdan Bogdanovich does not go to the Bucks, if this is all just a smokescreen, then fine, the Bucks still have their guy. But if it's not, and Bogdan ends up going to another team, what does that mean for Giannis? Are the Bucks actually better? I like I like a core, obviously, of Middleton, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. That is a very strong core. I think Chris Middleton is very underrated. We can quibble about whether he's the second or third best player on a championship team. You can win a championship with Chris Middleton on your team. He's a damn good player. But having Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich, while they're not high-level all-stars, they are highly effective and really good players. Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders at the guard position in the league, arguably the best, has an injury history, but it seemed to have gotten better the last couple of seasons. It was all just looking perfect around Giannis, and then... The Bogdan news happens. I just don't know what's going to happen. I hope as a fan and as a fan of Giannis for a long time, even though they are in, they have been an increasing threat and arrival in the East for a long time. I hope that this trade work. I hope that this deal still goes through because I really want to see one. I want to see Bogdan Bogdanovich on a winning team. Two, I just think that lineup makes a lot of sense. The starting, a projected starting lineup of Drew Holiday, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. And then you fill out some guys with veteran minimums so you can get positional versatility to put Giannis at the center. One, that's enough to offset my coach Mike Budenholzer, who has, over the last few years, I am just out on. After being a fan of his uh, a few years ago, I am out on now. But it might just be enough to offset playoff Mike Budenholzer. If the Bucks have a thin bench, he would have to be forced to play his starters more than 40 minutes. It was just ridiculous that Giannis sometimes would finish games with 37 minutes and a damn playoff game. Maybe now, 
with a thinned out bench, but will be forced to play as starters more. But also, there is there's a lot of ball handling on that team. Drew Holiday can take on the best uh, perimeter defender, while Giannis can stay in a specialized role of just being a free safety and disrupting everything. And then Bogdanovich can just make plays everywhere. And then, of course, we all forget Chris Middleton was an all-star last year, played like a top 20, top 25 player last year also. I really think people don't realize how good Chris Middleton was last year. That is a nasty lineup because now you're surrounding those guys with the back-to-back league MVP. Who honestly might have won his last MVP unless he wins a title this year because that's just how voting works and it sucks that it works like that. But if you win two MVPs and you come up short in the finals, (laughs) you're damn sure not getting that third one or another defensive player of the year again. Either way, Giannis... By my metrics, because I came up with the tier list myself, Giannis is a tier one franchise player, and they have surrounded Giannis with really good players, tier two type players, players that have made an all-star team or have made an all-NBA team, like Middleton and Holiday, and then of course Bogdanovich. I just hope this trade works out, and the sign-and-trade still does go through, and this is all just the, hey, league, look, I haven't agreed to anything. I'm just, I don't want to get fined for tampering. I hope that's all it is. But from one Eastern Conference team to another, yes, it's time to talk about my Philadelphia 76ers, par for the course on this podcast, because one, I'm sorry, they're just one of the most interesting teams in the NBA. From a casual fan perspective or a neutral observer perspective, everybody's wondering what this weirdo team over the last few years has been doing. They hired Daryl Morey a month ago. They kind of worked backwards. They hired the head coach first, and then they filled out the front office personnel with Elton Brand, and then they hired Daryl Morey to oversee everything. A little ass backwards, but, you know, the the end result is what Sixer fans wanted. They got arguably the, we got arguably the best, and yes, I'm saying we, we got arguably the best front office executive in basketball. You could say Sam Presti, who is just assembling a war chest of draft picks now. You could say Danny Ainge, Masai Ujiri, all perfect, legit arguments. Daryl Morey, point is, one of the best had already started going to work yesterday, remapping the Sixers team. And I have to say, this is the first time probably since the 2017 draft, the faithful Marcus or the faithful Markel Fultz draft that ended up being really bad, that I have just been very excited. And Maury just immediately, as everybody thought, he's a smart GM. He's one of the best. You don't win executive of the year and be the only team to challenge the Warriors during the Warriors era in the 2010 decade without being smart. He immediately identified the problems with the Sixers. First order of business sends Al Horford to Oklahoma City. And the price that... He paid to get off of Horford was honestly a lot less than what I thought. So Maury sent Al Horford to the Thunder for a top six protected 
first round pick in 2025, which is also great. I one that draft pick is so far down the road. I thought we were going to have to give up the 21st pick tonight, a 34th or 34th pick, which we did end up sending to OKC. We did end up sending the 34th pick along with the 2025 pick. But I thought we were going to have to give up way more than that to get off Horford. Because Horford, I think, is still a good player, but there were obviously clear signs he was declining. And there were times where he was just straight up awful. But I think you can also acknowledge that the Sixers roster construction did not do Horford any justice. One, playing next to Embiid and Simmons, those lineups were just terrible having all three of them there. And then basically he was only effective when he was the center while Embiid was off. So him and Simmons were the 4-5 combination. It was just an awful fit all around. In Oklahoma City, Horford will definitely have a role. I imagine Steven Adams is going to be on the move uh, after the Thunder got Horford. But in return, the Sixers got back Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson. And one... Those are two useful wings. I know Ferguson was bad last year, but in the 2018-19 season, he shot 36% from three that year in the 2018-19 season, averaging 6.9 points per game, which is what you're looking for in a player who is an athletic wing and is just asked to spot up all the time. Um, The Sixers never really had any wings like that besides a Matisse Thibel whenever his three-point shot was actually on. Josh Richardson never really filled the bill of being that two-way wing that was such a consolation prize that was praised. It was praised as a consolation prize in the Jimmy Butler sign-and-trade deal the year before. But Danny Green is more of a legit 3-and-D player than Josh, and we'll get to the Josh Richardson trade later. Danny Green has obviously been a starter on the last two championship teams. His shot disappeared in the playoffs these last few years. And then this past postseason, his shot and his defense just disappeared. Still one of the best transition defenders in NBA history. Still a very useful player. And Maury basically said, look, we're going to get players that fit around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. James Harden trade withstanding because I still think that's looming out there, but Maury spent the day thinking, what is the best way to build around my two young stars? And he went to work on that immediately. So going into the draft, after getting off Horford's contract, which was three years, $80 million left on it, last year was partially guaranteed, The Sixers not only saved money, they got an expiring contract for a good role player. They get to take a shot on a 22-year-old athlete. The Sixers didn't really have any athletes outside of Zaire Smith and Matisse Theibel and obviously Simmons last year. Embiid as well, but Embiid's not an athletic freak or a leaper like he was his rookie year. He's more groundbound these days, but still skilled and physically gifted. Just having some athletes at the perimeter spot is just something the Sixers desperately needed, among other perimeter skills the Sixers needed. So Maury went into the draft coming off of the Horford trade, and let me tell you, this draft was very interesting. Some of the prospects that I had, I know me and Chris Okamura on the Box Out Banter podcast, we listed some of our favorite prospects. Denny Avdia going to the Wizards was crazy. 
The Kings had a spectacular draft. I can't wait to watch this team and cover some of their games this year. Uh, you know, pandemic uh, and health permitting, of course. But the Kings getting Tyrese Halliburton at 12. And the fact that Halliburton fell all the way to 12 was nuts to me. And then by the 21st pick, the Sixers had their choice of Tyrell Terry, Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain, uh, RJ Hampton. The draft fell in such a way that it was touted as a big role player draft draft, right? And obviously everybody had their big boards and who they thought should have been first round prospects and second round prospects. The league obviously thought this draft was deeper than what we draft nerds and people who are cramming in draft stuff trying to act like they're experts on prospects in the last week gave it credit for and that was the case when you know you still have guys like Riller falling Desmond Bain fell to the Grizzlies at 30 and by the way the Grizzlies if you thought the Grizzlies were cool and awesome last year they're gonna be even more draft Twitter this is this is just draft Twitter's dream right now the Grizzlies back to back to back have just accumulated young prospects that everybody loves and they're athletic. They could get up the floor. I like Desmond Bain a lot. But then guys like Tyrell Terry fall to the Mavericks at 31. And the Sixers end up taking Tyrese Maxey at 21, which is also something that they needed. They needed a combo guard who can dribble a basketball. I know, strange concept. But they also needed a guard who can score off the dribble and shoot off the dribble. And I know Maxi did not shoot well at Kentucky, but that shot looks fine. I'm not worried about it. I just think with NBA spacing and playing off of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and just a more talented team, I think Maxi's going to excel. He wasn't my first choice at 21. I really wanted Tyrell Terry or Desmond Bain, and I really would have exploded if we got both Maxi and Terry, who ended up falling 31 to the Mavericks, like I mentioned. That is the perfect guy for Luka Doncic. Oh, but wait, it gets better. Maury, continuing the theme of addressing more needs, sent Josh Richardson to the Mavericks, who had a great draft night, by the way. They sent Richardson to the Mavericks, as well as the 36th pick. And the Sixers, in return, get Seth Curry, Doc Rivers' son-in-law. Seth Curry is married to Callie Rivers, who is the daughter of now head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, Doc Rivers, which is all kind of just funny in a way. But Seth Curry, who is on a three-year, eight-million-per-year contract. 45% three-point shooter. Attempted five threes a game last year. The type of gravitational shooter, as Maury put it in his press conference last night, to put around Simmons and Embiid. And it was just very clear from the jump what Maury wanted to do. He saw 
He even said it in the press conferences, and it's been stuff that I have been clamoring, one on this podcast, one in my YouTube videos, and whenever I'm just complaining on Twitter, whenever somebody gives a take about the Sixers, that obviously comes from a place of misunderstanding or not watching at all. When you put shooting and skill players in minimized roles around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, those lineups are historically, historically efficient. Look at the starting lineup in the 2017-18 season. The first season Ben and Joe played together. Robert Covington, Dario Saric, J.J. Redick. Covington was a 36% three-point shooter. Redick was Redick, 40-plus. Saric was hovering, hovering around 40% from three. I think he shot like, I think he ended the year shooting 39.9 on the year. I remember he was always bordering on being 40%, and I was rooting for him that year to shoot 40% from three just for the synergy of it, I guess. I don't know. I'm weird like that. And he ended up finishing the year shooting 39.3% from three. And those lineups were killing teams. They had the best net rating of any starting five that played the required amount of minutes in the NBA that year. And then, of course, the lineup got better the next year when they finally settled on the Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid starting lineup that they did not run back, unfortunately. Daryl Morey saw that and said, Everything here is wrong. We are going to switch it up. We are going to break this team up. We are going to get the proper fitting players around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And it was so refreshing listening to that press conference and listening to a smart basketball mind know exactly what to put around his two best players. And this is stuff Sixer fans have been clamoring for. So there was a good it was a good draft for the Sixers, a great day for the Sixers. I already think they're better on paper than they were last year, just by product of having more fitting pieces around them. They got a bunch of shooting. They were still able to keep some of their young wings like Matisse Thibel. Shake Milton is still on the team. I think Shake Milton is actually a rotational NBA guard, obviously. Not a starting point guard like the Sixers tried to make him last year just because we literally couldn't have anybody else that dribbled. And then Zaire Smith is still a wild card. I'm still high on Zaire Smith. It was just he had a freak allergy reaction and almost, you know, almost died. And now he's kind of playing catch up and he was already a raw, raw prospect coming out of Texas Tech anyway. But I like what the Sixers have done. And now they've created some trade exceptions. I think they still have some moves to pull off. Harden withstanding. Maury has made it clear. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to be the future of the franchise for a long time. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Even though I'm kind of resigned already to them trading Ben Simmons for James Harden. And I want it to happen. This is a perfect, perfect second route to go. Because I think Ben Simmons is fantastic. I think he's a tier 1.5 franchise player. And I think him and Embiid can fit together well with the right roster around him. And Maury seems to agree with me. I brought up the Kings briefly. I really liked the draft the Kings had. And it's just amazing to me. 
I know I don't want to put the Kangs label on them yet for the whole Bogdan Bogdanovich fiasco because I think this new front office with Monty McNair deserves the benefit of the doubt. He's a Maury disciple. Maury disciples are smart and are able to look at basketball from different angles and not just one. And it was refreshing that when Tyrese Halliburton was drafted by the Kings, McNair said in his press conference that he didn't care about fit. He cared about the best prospects available, which is just got to be a gut punch for Kings fans because two years ago, we all know they took Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic and Vlade Divac gave like five different stupid reasons. One of them was can Luka Doncic and De'Aaron Fox play together? Hmm. Can people who dribble, shoot, and pass fit well together? Huh. I don't know. That's weird. That's a good question. I don't know. And then they end up taking Marvin Bagley, who Vlade said could play the four, the five, and small forward. Record scratch. So yeah, the Kings drafting philosophy is completely different, and I just have no... I have... I am completely fine with giving this front office a two-year moratorium on criticism because I think the Kings have actually made some smart hires. I think they are ready to readjust their expectations on this team. It seems like with the Bogdan sign-and-trade and Buddy Heald wanting out, the Kings are starting to move towards actually building this team around De'Aaron Fox who is 22 years old and one of the fastest point guards in the NBA. Not just one of the fastest and athletic, most athletic point guards, but is a really good skilled player. He's he's turned into a really good passer. His three-point shot is getting better. His, His finishing around the rim is better. He is just a good, really good franchise point guard to build around. And getting Tyrese Halliburton, who is also... Just a really skilled offensive player. Reminds me so much of Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Has defensive upside. That is the type of player to put around De'Aaron Fox. And Marvin Bagley kind of wins a little bit from this too. Because it's obvious the Kings are not going for big men anymore. If Bagley can stay healthy, and I was higher on Bagley than most people. I came around on Bagley in the 2018 draft. He might not be Luka Doncic. But he's a solid player. He's a going to be, I think he has the ceiling of a multi-time all-star. He just needs to stay healthy. But I think with the moves the Kings have made in this draft and then going in the second round and getting perimeter players like Woodard and Ramsey who have defensive upside and already have a clear role on the team, or at least a clear projected role for their talents. I just think the Kings are do are exploring or showing a different type of draft philosophy that they haven't shown in the past. And for a new front office that's trying to earn the trust of a tortured fan base, I think this is a great first step. Notice how a lot of people on King's Twitter, and I do follow a lot of King's fans, and, you know, King's Twitter does pop up on my timeline all the time. They were prepared for another day of basketball hell, and they didn't get it. They came out feeling very good, and I'm just happy to see 
when a franchise makes smart hires and then it trickles down into good vibes for a tortured fan base. And I'm very happy for Kings fans. What they what they do with Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald and maybe Harrison Barnes down the road, who knows? But all I know is they are not trying to put 26 to 30-year-olds around De'Aaron Fox anymore, and it seems like they are committed to doing this right because they still have time. Fox hasn't signed his big extension yet. Fox is only 22 years old also. So why not use this chance while Fox still hasn't signed his first big contract yet to say, look, we made a mistake trying to go on all in on a playoff run after a very promising 2018-19. But now it's time to shift course a little bit and realize we have to readjust our timeline back to Fox. And the Kings are very smart for doing so. The other one I wanted to mention before we go, I just wanted to react to some of my favorite draft halls from tonight. And this is a draft where, like I said, it just looks like a lot of players are projected to be role players. And so it seems like a lot of fan bases got what they wanted, especially when players that people liked unexpectedly unexpectedly fell. Denny Obdia going to the Wizards, one is very interesting and one a move that I like a lot. Just a real side note, just a real quick side note. Washington is going to have a bunch of jersey sales internationally just by having Ruri Hachimura and Denny Avdia on the team. <laughs> and one, it's awesome. Two, I really like those players. And two, the three, the Wizards are now slowly starting to look like they're putting together some stuff. If this Westbrook to John Wall trade that has been recently reported that is being discussed hasn't happened yet, if that comes through, Having a Westbrook and Bradley Beal backcourt, that I don't I question the fit of that, but I would take Westbrook over it pains me to say as a huge John Wall fan, but I'm just not sure how John Wall is gonna look after the Achilles injury. I would take Westbrook over John Wall right now. And I think while the backcourt might necessarily might not necessarily be the best fit, it is certainly the most talented the Wizards have had in a while. And you got a bunch of young players like Ruri Hachimura, Denny Avdia, Thomas Bryant is morphing into a very nice looking big. There's a lot to be excited about for Washington fans, and I'm just I'm high on Denny Avdia. I really thought the Bulls should have taken him. It was kind of crazy that Patrick Williams went at the fourth spot, but hey, who knows? Maybe the new Bulls front office, who has hired people from the Denver Nuggets, maybe they see something that I don't in Patrick Williams, but I really thought Denny Avdia would have been a good place for, would have been, I really thought Chicago would have been a good place for Avdia. I mentioned in the B.O.B. podcast with Chris that if the Bulls drafted Avdia, he would have been the rug in the big Lebowski that ties the room together because the Bulls have about 5,000 scoring guards. They have a big log jam, especially with Wendell Carter and Lori Marketin. And of course, you have a new coach in Benny, Billy Donovan who wants to start running his own stuff now, especially when his first couple of years coaching was coaching Russell Westbrook and then coaching Chris Paul. 
And I think Denny Avdia would have been the perfect player to run the type of system Donovan likes, which everybody says motion. It's more motion oriented and not as ball dominant, although he will have a bunch of scoring guards to try to, you know, divvy up the ball handling responsibilities. Avdia is just a really smart player and playmaker and would have distributed the ball evenly, I feel. And the Bulls just needed some playmaking, not another high upside home home run swing type of pick. But Avdia going to the Wizards is... The Wizards were probably like, I cannot believe this guy fucking fell all the way to us. Because I think Avdia is one of the best prospects in this draft class. The Pistons getting Killian Hayes as well is the is great for the Pistons obviously and it's also a spot for Hayes to develop just right away because there is nobody nobody currently that's going to take Killian Hayes' spot and then on top of getting Killian Hayes they make some trades they end up getting Isaiah Stewart and they end up getting Sadiq Bey who is also one of my favorite prospects that I have listed so you're basically getting big, long wingspan, six nine, six ten dudes that are hard workers, have defensive upside, and you're flanking them along with Killian Hayes, who I think has a very high floor. And like some people, like say Kevin O'Connor and a few others who might have had Killian Hayes in their top three, or in Kevin O'Connor's case, one, there is definitely some shot creation and p- potential that... Hayes has because he's already a really good playmaker and if you're Detroit and if you're Detroit fans you just have to love this draft you just have to it's you get a very high level prospect fall to you probably unexpectedly then Sadiq Bey falls to you and then Isaiah Stewart falls to you players that are very that have the outlines of roles that are highly coveted in the NBA it was a good haul for the Pistons, and I really enjoyed their draft as well. There was also one other I w- also wanted to mention. Uh, the Mavericks are going all in on Luka Doncic, obviously, and players that will fit around Doncic and him having the ball a lot, which rightfully so. Getting Tyrell Terry, I am so... I'm so... Obviously, the Sixers had a good draft night, but I was really going to lose my shit if we ended up getting Maxi and Tyrell Terry falling to the Sixers at 36, but the Mavericks weren't going to let him go that far down. A great shooter to put next to Luka Doncic. I don't understand why prospects like Terry fall like that, especially when we know the flaws, but his strengths are so tailor-made for today's NBA that I just don't understand how he wasn't a first-round pick. Solid passer, can shoot off the dribble from deep, can spot up from deep, can come off screens, and hit all of those type of three-point shots at an elite level of efficiency. An elite level of efficiency. And yet somehow he fell to the second round. Yes, I understand he has defensive flaws. Yes, I understand he's not a playmaker like... Trey Young or Steph Curry. But the guy has the ability to be a gravitational shooter 
where defenses are almost out to damn near half court guarding this guy. And now you're pairing this guy with Luka Doncic, who now also has Josh Richardson defending the best perimeter player. And then the Mavericks, of course, take Josh Green with the 16th pick. Monster defender with his athleticism. 6'6", 6'10", wingspan. I'm a huge wingspan guy, by the way. You guys will come to find out as the years in this podcast go along and the years I am doing basketball content. I love wingspan. I think that's a great indicator of being able to disrupt everything off the ball as an off-ball defender. And if you're 6'6", with a 6'10", wingspan, and Josh Green's three-point shot is real. See, I love this, this this draft. I feel like the smart teams or the teams that recently hired smart people, this is where they shined the most. Because while there wasn't a bona fide superstar in this draft, players fell unexpectedly. Teams picked players that they felt like were better players than what draft nerds had on their mock boards trades to be made like the Pistons and the Mavericks the Kings headed by Monty McNair teams made a bunch of smart decisions and now we're a day away from teams being able to talk to other free agents even though Talks have already started, quite frankly. So now free agency is coming up. And then we head into early December and we're right in training camp, preseason, and then the season on December 22nd. It's a fast-moving time. Very happy with the Sixers draft and just the day that they had, just speaking as a fan real quick. But just an overall, it wasn't the whirlwind everybody thought it would be. There wasn't really any trades for a while, especially in the lottery. And it wasn't the fast flurry of action that we were expecting. But it was still an interesting draft and a really fun draft. And it was also cool just seeing players react to finally reaching a dream that they have been dreaming about for since they were born, since they picked up a basketball. It was just really cool to see. Knicks are very on brand taking Obi Toppin, although... I really like him as a prospect. I'm just not sure. Well, I'm not just sure. I just don't think the Knicks made a good pick. I just, he doesn't fit anywhere. He's probably a Tom Thibodeau pick for sure. Grinder, relentless, athletic as all hell. There is definitely some offensive upside, but he's more of a defender now first who still needs to work on that. And I just don't understand the pick. So, typical Knicks fashion, they pick somebody we don't understand who is also a power forward. So, this draft had everything. And it's going to be a very fun next week or so. But that's about all the time I have for today or tonight. Uh, Stay tuned for another episode of the Sly Hooper podcast coming out next week. Very glad to be a part of the Blue Wire family and Blue Wire Hustle. And I just can't wait to get this podcast really rolling. It's a very exciting time. And I am very excited.
So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. And until then, deuces. Thank you.